Hey, agency owners, it's time for a new episode of the Agency Blueprint, the number one podcast for agency owners looking to discover strategies for scaling an agency to seven figures and beyond, while reducing stress and getting your personal life back. I'm your host, Robert Patton, international bestselling author, agency scale partner, and founder of Creative Agency Success. If you enjoy our podcast, please do me a favor and hit that subscribe button to make sure you never miss an episode and help keep the show at the top of the charts so it can be found by more agency owners like you. And now for the show. I'm sure that we've all experienced this, where we've had to dive into the unknown of being a manager without the proper training. We were great at what we do, and then we became a manager, and we fell flat. We have Eileen's with us again today, and Eileen's is, has had 25 years of human resources experience and business management experience. She has a passion for human capital and business strategy. She helps businesses understand the necessary tactics that will help develop, train, educate, and motivate their employees. Eileen currently serves as the CEO at HR Transformed, COO at the National Public Relations Firm, and a and is the professor of continuing education for Temple University. Welcome back to the show, Eileen. Thanks for having me back, Robert. So, you know, I want to start kind of with this like experience, and I know that this was something that was super, super, super difficult for me going from being an individual contributor to being a manager and then business owner. And like each time it was like this huge first mindset shift that needed to happen. But I want to kind of just from thinking about one of your team members having been and put into a manager position, like how it feels just from them from the very start, like that experience for a person, if we can just kind of define that. Yeah, well, when you start your career or you're really building up your contributions, as an individual contributor, you've you basically maxed out. Like you are providing so much value. You're good at what you do. You're fast. You're quick. You're great. And so all of a sudden it's like, let's make you a manager. Let's get other people and sort of clone you to be this like, you know, extension of you. And so you're thrust into this position of now not only being an individual contributor with some responsibility, because that always comes with the territory of management, but also now showing other people the ropes and, and realizing their careers. And it feels like this big responsibility while you're also trying to get your own work done. So in the beginning, you really need to think about how do I now split myself in two? You have to shift your mindset. It is no longer what I can do. It's now what can I do for others? What can we do? And that shift doesn't happen overnight, especially those whose personality it is to be sort of like a perfectionist with their work or to spend a lot more time thinking and having that private time to innovate and, and, and think through their ideas. Like sometimes that time just goes out the window. So shifting into a manager versus an individual contributor is really considering the time is not what it was before. I now have to learn time and I now have to learn how valuable my time is and where I spend that time. So you have to think about, all right, so if I still have all this work to do, bucket that into one place. You can use time boxing, you can use whatever it is that you need to do, but you certainly want to make sure that you are making time for those things that require just you. Mm. Then you have to think about, okay, how do I split my time and become valuable to these other people? And how am I doing that? How do they learn? Do they learn like me? Probably not. Do mm. they think like me? Not there yet. So now you have to take your mind back, right? Now, not, not only are we creating time, but now we're going into this time warp of 
What was I thinking and doing when I was a bit more green in my career? How do I bring my mindset back to this person is learning the ropes and it is my responsibility to teach them these ropes? So now you have to really think about value. I want to create valuable moments between me and this employee. I want to make sure that I'm giving them what they need. Some people just want to be given instruction and and walk away from them. Mm. Others want to talk things through. Others really want to hear that you care about them. And so you have to figure out as a manager, how do I split myself into all these sort of buckets for whatever this person needs so they are also moving the needle forward? Because at the end of the day, you're not going to just spend all your time saying, how are you today? How are you feeling? Is everything going well? You know, there are moments in time that you have to create with these people to make sure that they're motivated enough to move the needle forward for you. And for you as a manager, not only understanding what's valuable to them, but also understanding what do I have to do differently to get them to work in the way that is needed to get the job done? So so there's a lot going on in that new manager's mind of, so I have to get my own work done. I have to create value over here. I have to teach them how to be whatever it is I need them to be. But also I have to shift me, myself, and I. What worked for me before as an individual contributor may not work exactly the same way, especially if I do not have an individual that I'm teaching that is just like me. Because guess what? They will not be just like you. Accept that and find a good way to add value. So I, and part of what you were talking about, I felt so incredibly exposed when you're like the people that are perfectionists and maybe control freaks and like things done in a specific way and also like private time to think and ideate. I'm like, I'm all of those things. Maybe I'm not meant to be a manager, <laughs> but it was definitely a very difficult thing for me being in that place. Like it was so incredibly hard. I was thinking back to 21 year old me and being in a place where I'm a manager for the first time. And I'm managing people at that point, and some of them were more than twice my age, and how difficult it was, one, to have any aspect of respect. And at that point, you know, young and 20 years old, so everyone should respect me because I'm awesome and I know everything kind of mindset that I had at the time, you know? Yeah. But also needing to learn that everyone has a completely different mind and way of doing things and seeing things and being motivated differently and viewing the world differently. And that was the the most difficult piece for me was figuring out like how to help support someone else where they were and recognizing that I am no longer really truly evaluated based on my performance, but I'm now evaluated by everyone else's performance. So it's my job to lift them up, not to make not to lift myself up, but I have to lift everyone else up around me. And it was a very difficult thing for me to learn. And without the support of like, you know, any types of trainings, I had to seek it out myself. But most people are not supported in those types of places. I would like to also kind of maybe hit for a moment, what is it like for the team? And what you just described, you know, someone that is new to the role, they're an individual contributor, they have had no management training, and so what is it like for this person that's being managed by this person? Like, how do they feel? Are they being supported? What is their experience like? And what are they saying to themselves? And how does that impact the organization? So I want to, first I want to address your, your comment. You absolutely can be a great manager as long as you build in time. You build in private time for you to reset yourself and you're going to be spectacular for everyone else. And also the challenge of being a young manager not, not just in age, but also in that experience of being with other mm. people and just kind of navigating life and, and touching other people. That's a lot to take on. So to answer your, your question now, 
The team experiences you in different ways. And the experience that you provide for them is is landing in different ways for them. So you really have to think about how does this person perceive me? If I left the organization, would they follow me? Hmm. Am I providing what they need to feel motivated and valued? So from the perspective of the employee or the person that's being managed, do I feel like this person truly cares about my development, that Hmm. this person truly cares about giving me the information that I need and want? Because as an employee, there's a lot that will not be forthcoming with what they need. And so this poor manager has to figure it all out as well as do their own work. And that is a, is a big challenge because how you are being in the moment with this employee makes or breaks your relationship. So if this person needs a little bit more of a hand to be held, right? Like they, they need a little bit more information. They might look at you doe-eyed. And if you're not experiencing them in a either video or virtual way where you're just experiencing them over the phone, you may not pick up that their doe eyes are telling you, I need more information. Mm-hmm. You also have to pick up on like the nonverbal cues, but also the verbal cues. If you hear them sort of struggling to give you information back, start over and say, all right, let's start over. What questions do you have for me right now about something specific? Not, do you have any questions for me? No, be specific. An employee wants to be able to answer a specific question, not to answer a general question. How are you? Well, you know, I can go down several paths on that one. I can tell you about my personal life. I can tell you about my work life. I can tell you about my cousins. I can tell you about my vacation I'm planning. But if you said to me as an employee, Eileen's, how was that meeting you just had with the client? Did you feel empowered or was I stepping in too much? It gives me something to hold on to. I'd say, you know what, Robert? You stepped in when I needed you, and that was really great. Or, uh, Robert, I felt like my toes were stepped on. I really wanted to say more. And you kind of jumped in like a half second before me. And so I don't want you to think that I'm not ready to step in. I was just kind of waiting for that right moment, and I'm not as comfortable as you. So you have to invite them in by asking very specific questions that allows them to expand a little bit more on what you might be thinking. And as a manager... I'm very good at like understanding the sense in the room and just saying, okay, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm getting. As an employer, you're not willing to say, hey, I have something really heavy to talk to you about. You want to sit down and talk about that right now? So if you are picking up on these cues, you really need to say, you know, to the person like something, it looks like something's off. You know, we just talked about this and and it kind of looked like the mood just kind of shifted. Is, Is there something you want to share with me about what we were just talking about? Or is there something I haven't provided you that's going to help you be better at your job? What, what haven't I given you? And never be on the defensive. An employee does not want to put you in the position to be defensive or for them to be defensive. So I really want to go back to the why. Never ask why. Like, why did you do that? Why didn't you step in? Say, how can I empower you to step in next time? How can I be different next time we're on that client call so that you do feel like you can step in? As an employee, I can say, yeah, Robert, wait a second, because I'm going to jump in in the half second. But if you're jumping in in the eighth of a second, I'm not I'm not able to get in there. So, yeah, wait a full like one Mississippi before you jump in. And I promise you I will jump in. And if two Mississippis go by and I haven't jumped in, then that's your cue to save me. Does that work for you, Robert? Right. Like 
you have to create these conversations. So try not to put the employee on the defensive by asking the wow, the why, because I don't want to sit here. Well, because Robert, like I had the information. You just didn't give me a chance. Then you're mm-hmm. going to get defensive. What do you mean they give me a chance? So you definitely want to make sure that you're asking the how, the what, the where's, the, the you know, can I be better? You know, how, how can I support you? Calibrated questions go so much farther with these employees and they're not on the, on the defensive as well. So that's how mm-hmm. you can really create a better experience is try to get why out of your vocabulary. And on the flip side of that, as a manager, make sure you're giving your because up front. So I would say, you know, Robert, you know, if you were the employee and I was the manager in this kind of quasi client call that we're on, I'd say, you know, I feel like I was just waiting a little longer than I'm used to to let you jump in. And so I'd like for you to jump in next time. I'll wait two seconds. And the reason why we're doing this is because I want to empower you to jump in and answer the client question. I want you to be in relationship with them. And these are the steps that we're going to take to get you there. So Mm. give the because as a manager so that the employee isn't kind of asking you why and also use calibrated questions so the employee is not put on the defensive when you ask why. I think that this was a very astute example for this audience as well, because I think that in so many examples, you've got the supporting team that are on the call and the agency owner is usually the one that speaks throughout the entire call and the team says little to nothing on the call. So this is a very astute example. There's a couple of things that you said that I absolutely really enjoyed. The question component and making sure that you're saying like a very specific question. And I say this all the time, the more detailed of a question you ask, the more detailed of a response you're going to get. And when you ask this like very wide, breathy oriented conversation, right? Like it's, you're not going to get a direct response and you're not going to have one that's really meaningful because you didn't ask enough of a specific question. So that's so incredibly important. One of the things that like for me is something that I have recognized over time is that the more actual time I spent in therapy getting to know my own emotional experience, the better manager that I became because of that sort of nonverbal cue. If like I can slow myself down enough to actually pay attention to what's going on in the other person's body language, their facial expressions, what's happening with them, the more that I can pay attention to that, the more I can actually appropriately support them in that situation. And I mean, to things, and I want to say this was initially from a Dan Sullivan thing, but like talking about communication styles, and we do this with every single person that that joins for us, is how do you best receive information? What is the least beneficial way to receive information? When do you like to receive it? How do you like to get it? Like, is it detailed? Is it bullet pointed? Is it just, you know, brass tacks? Like, how do you like to receive the information? And what is the mechanism by which you're going to receive it? Is it text message? Is it an email? Is it a call? Is it a video call? Like, how do you like to receive information? And how do you not like to receive it? So that you can actually support the person. And the same thing for, for for me too, right? Like, how do I do it? So then how do they do the inverse to me? So as a manager, I can get the information I need from them so that we can have a good communication style, right? It's, I think it's so incredibly important. I think that a lot of these people that struggle with the how information is sort of communicated, like the way that information is flowing through the organization, a lot of agencies can benefit from behavioral analysis. They really, truly can so if you're someone who is a dominant personality style, it's either, you know, an A or a D from DISC. So if you're a high A or very dominant style, you want people to be quick, be brilliant, and be gone. Three bullet points, spare me the details, let me know what I need to know, and whether or not I have an action step. And so 
I'm not, I'm not that style. I communicate in that style when I recognize that the other person needs me to be that way. It may not be comfortable for me. I have to shift to make sure that I'm meeting that person's needs. Then you've got the person who is a high communicator, and that's me. I can talk all day. I love sort of reciprocal communication. I love to be in conversation, in relationship with people, but verbally and not written. You send me a huge email, I'm having a hard time reading it. If I'm in a rush, I'm not reading it at all. It's just not the way the brain works for people who are high communicators, right? Mm -hmm. So high communicators that are not high attention to detail, which again, I'm exposing myself, that's me. So I like brainstorming. I like being in a conversation with someone. I like bouncing ideas back and forth. And then I need the structure of, all right, I've got what I need to do. Let me repeat myself. You've got what you've got to do. I'm, I'm gonna make sure we're on the same page. Let's put some deadlines to it and let's move on. So collaborative communication could be one style. The other style is that care and concern, psychological safety side. Those are the people who are like, how are you today? That is more important before you get in the work. They want to know you care. So those people will only hear you if you show care and concern ahead of getting right into the work. So you got to identify if that behavioral style is present in your direct report or in the leader that you're working with. And then the last style I want to talk about is that very, very high attention to detail, very wordy lots of information. And very big cue on this is if you get an email with 15 paragraphs, there's your tip off. This person not only likes to communicate, likes to communicate in detail. So if I need to communicate with someone like that, which is not my style, I have to step it up. I literally have to shift my brain and say, okay, this Hmm. is going to this type of person. I better make sure that I have provided all the details, that I have provided all the direction, that I've highlighted the action steps, that I've put in the deadlines, right? This person may want me to communicate more in writing than verbally because they're not picking up the same amount of information that I'm giving off. So Mm -hmm. my style of communicating is different than someone else's. So you have to identify what style is my person or even my client Mm -hmm. because your style may be just to come in and say, hey, client, my team is here. They're not speaking. We just want to give you the highlights and then we're going to be on our merry way going to take care of all that for you. What if that client's a high communicator relationship person? You've not met their needs right there. And also, what if your employees are looking for that as well? Their needs are not met there. So you've got to find where the needs need to be met in terms of communication and reciprocal communication within your organization. So big way of like biggest cheat sheet on this is identify that your audience, you may not know what their feedback style is or their their communication style is. So always start with the short give them as much information up front with whatever action step is needed and deadline and kind of open up the, let's say, email or open up the conversation with that big picture. Mm -hmm. Then high communicators like me, we like the energy. Bring the energy. If If it's something serious, bring me serious energy. If it's something really exciting, bring me excited energy. Bring me in. That's going to keep my attention. Then you bring in the care, concern, and the details, right? Because those people are very patient. Those people will stick around. But if you're going to be talking to a, a mixed group of behavioral styles, you've got to make sure you're, you're playing on all those styles. I want to make sure I grab this person's attention. I want to make sure that I'm getting the information out to them so that they've got it in the way that's necessary for them. And that's one thing that we tend to do as managers. We communicate in our style because it's easier for us. But once you identify what is this that the other person needs to receive feedback, you're, you're golden. And then the method, right? I like to communicate verbally because that's my style. So Robert, if you and I are, are both this style of like high communicators and we like to be in front of people, 
It's going to be easy for us to communicate. It's going to be easy for us to connect with each other. It's going to be easy for me to give you feedback because we're creating relationship that way because we're similar. If I were very different than you, Robert, and I did not communicate that way, it's not going to work for me. You and I are not going to be in relationship. And I'm also not going to hear you and understand your data in the right way. So first it's identifying and then it's deciding, okay, what's the best way of communicating? And then when you have no choice, this is a meeting. We're in front of each other. Find ways to either be more detailed or less detailed. Just kind of read. It's like reading the room. And a lot of tip-offs, like I said, you know, what kind of email are you getting? Are you getting this very, very wordy email? The other thing I like to see is whether or not they talk quickly. If they talk quickly, they're most likely a high communicator. And if they talk with this sense of urgency, tends to have a high sense of urgency, less patient. I need to make sure I've got their attention as long as I need it and then send them off with whatever action steps that they need. So there's so many different tip-offs that if I sat with you in a room, Robert, and I said, oh, we, we're dealing with a high communicator here. Let's go. Relationship, let's go. Let's, let's go relationship mode with them. But if I see that someone's a little bit more deliberate and patient and a little bit slower in their, in their tone and, you know, like in their, their cadence of speaking, I'd say, this is a patient person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what kind of details I can give. Let me shift myself to kind of get in with them. You started off the conversation that's so much like incredible. And I feel like I have to go back and do some disc profile of myself. I don't remember exactly what results I got, but I, you started off with dominant and I was like, yep, I'm, da- I'm definitely that person that you talked about really lengthy emails. And I'm like, definitely that person too. The one that I was not was the patient one. And I'm like, okay, well, which person am I in this scenario? And I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, so let's say that someone here and listening at the moment is in a position that either they're a manager and they're recognizing, I need to change the way in which I'm actually managing my team and or they have a manager that they are managing that needs to elevate themselves and actually transition to shifting the style by which they communicate, that they manage. What, what would you suggest is like the thing that they should be doing next? So definitely thinking about shifting rather than changing, right? So a lot of the behavioral work that I do, a lot of people think that they need to change who they are. And the truth is you actually don't change who you are. You shift in the moment. It's called situational leadership. So the situation dictates how you will need to show up as a leader. And the first thing is identifying, does my direct report or does the manager that I'm managing need me to be directing them and very involved with them? Should I be providing all the answers or should I go into coaching mode? Mm. Should I be the one saying, what do you think we should do next? This is very similar to this other client situation we had. Do you remember what we did then? Think, tell me, what would you do next? And what you want to do is get these people into a position where they know what you're going to ask as opposed to, let me just wait for what my direction is. You will never have a self-starter naturally that will do this for you. So a lot of us want these employees who are going to like read our minds and like be a self-starter and go find the information and upfront everything so that we could just say, yeah, that sounds great and keep it moving. It's not going to happen nine out of 10 times. You're not going to have that unicorn, that self-starter who just shows up and knows everything. What you need to say is, all right, I'm going to give you direction. I provided direction multiple times now. I'm going to go into coaching. So I'm going to give an example of like maybe an announcement or something that has to go out to a client. Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're having something that, that's going out. So in direction mode, I'd say, okay, Robert, 
I'm in directing mode with you. I'm going to tell you exactly what we need to do. We need to make sure that we send this email to the client. We're going to attach a PDF document to it. The document's going to contain X, Y, and Z. I need it by this deadline so it can go out to the client by then. How does that sound? And, and then Robert goes, yeah, that's good. That's me in directing mode. That's me not shifting my style to get this person to be more of that self-starter. The second way is coaching. And this is really, really important for managers who are coaching, who are, who are growing and developing other managers, right? These senior leaders who are developing managers go into coaching mode. They're only looking to you for the answer. And it's easy for us to just say, yeah, here's what you're going to do, X, Y, Z, idiot. A lot of brain power. Mm -hmm. Let's say we use that same exact brain power to say, all right, Robert, so we know that the client needs this by Friday. What do you think the first draft should look like? And you say, you know what? The first draft, I should put it in whatever, you know, this PDF document. I'm going to send it to you by Thursday so we can get it to the client by Friday. In my head, I'm like, nah, get it to me by Wednesday morning or get it to me by Tuesday night or, you know, Tuesday afternoon. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, do you think Thursday gives us enough time to edit it a couple times and then send it to the client Friday morning? And Robert would go, yeah, you're right. You know what? Tuesday's better. I'm like, perfect. That sounds great. Tuesday sounds good. I didn't give you the answer. I led you to water, right? I got you. I shifted my way of thinking and being, not just behavior-wise, but also growth for you to go into coaching mode. And then the next time Robert and I need to go through this sort of situation, we get off the phone with the client. Robert's going to come straight to me and say, all right, Aileen, I, I got the plan. Friday needs to go to the client. So I'm going to get this to you by Tuesday. I'm going to put in a PDF. I'm going to have all this ready, couple rounds of back and forth. And then I'll get it to the client Friday morning. And I'm like, I have done my freaking job. I have gotten <laughs> you to the point where you are now in that self-starter mode. I don't have to tell you what to do. And I am now in supporting mode. So there's this model called the situational leadership model where you start off directing, you go into coaching, you go into supporting, and lastly, you go into delegating. Guess what? Robert and I are not having that conversation anymore because he doesn't need me. He knows exactly what to do. I am now able to go get new business or Go manage other people who need that development. So situational leadership is perfect in terms of shifting the way you manage, not just style-wise, but even how you approach them and giving them direction because it is so easy for us to say, here's what you do and move on. But that is not the right way to manage, especially when you want to move into more of your leadership mode and not mm -hmm. stay a manager who has so much of this contribution that needs so much brain power. And I think what you're saying is so incredibly true. And I personally experienced this like just directly because I, as perfectionist kind of control freak oriented person that I am, that it was super difficult. Like I would just like, all right, here's exactly what needs to be done. And the moment that I switched and shifted the way that I saw the world into how do I coach the rationale behind the decision making, I didn't need to be that person. But more importantly than even saving my own time was that I also recognized that people gave me that opportunity to learn, to figure out, to do, and not be trained that way. So I need to be able to give back to others in being able to help them change the way that they see the world and how to actually get through the rationale themselves to be able to improve their careers and take on new responsibilities right. and have the same opportunity that I did. The hardest thing that I found, and sometimes I recognize too that the thing that I would learn from the most is when I failed. And I learned as well, and it was such a difficult thing as a manager to do, being that perfectionist control freak personality that I am, to actually just leave a void. Not like just completely just 
let go of the responsibilities as a manager, but to allow for them to fill the void that I had just left. And knowing that, yes, they're not going to, one, they're not going to do it exactly as I had done it. That's fine. Right. And be okay with that. And two, that they are going to learn. So like, how do I have kind of control, controlled errors that I know they're going to make them and I'm okay with it and I'm going to let them make it so that they learn from it themselves and then they come to me with, hey, this is what happened and then I can kind of coach the way that they see it so that the next time they really learned the whole thing and can do it better themselves and it's better for them, it's better for me, it's better for the organization and everyone wins in that scenario. But it was very difficult, one, as an entrepreneur, two, as a manager, and three, as a perfectionist, to allow for that to happen. Right. And I imagine many people listening probably have a similar kind of situation. Managing and being a manager is so much more about us than it is about them. And it's an emotional event, whether you like it or not, right? There, There's so many things that you're struggling with as a manager. How do I handle this situation? How is this person going to be? Are they going to want to work with me? Or I'm frustrated with them. There's so many emotions around being a manager that as a manager, we don't stop to say, let me reevaluate things for myself and, and allow themselves to grow. It is such a unique opportunity to get to know themselves better that we fail to recognize that that is the moment to do it. And you're right, you're going to fail. You're going to say things maybe not in the right way. And what's great is that you can hold yourself accountable in front of other people and say, you know what? That was not good leadership on my part. Mm -hmm. I, I failed you as a manager. Like those words are so powerful. And once a manager kind of drops the ego and just says, I'm not perfect. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to do right by this other person. I'm also going to be doing right by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm growing and stretching in ways that I've never imagined emotionally and in, in my career. And once you get over that hurdle, you know, Robert, you and I have been over that hurdle for many years. It is like painful, right? It's one of those psychologically painful moments of like, I am responsible for this person and they're not doing what I want them to do because we fail to sort of look into ourselves and say, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to shift? What do I need to be better at? And can I be vulnerable to a point where my employee sees that I'm, I'm here in service of them? Right. That servant leadership style has to come out a little bit so that other people feel like it's not just you on an island and they're kind of little boats kind of going, going to your island. You're all in it. You're all in it together. Team, like a full team. Eileen, I feel like we could probably go on and chat about this for years and I'm enjoying this conversation so much. But if someone listening right now wants to get in touch with you, how can they best find you? So you can find me on LinkedIn. My first name is A-L-L-Y-N-S, last name Melendez. You can also find us on Instagram, HR underscore transformed with a E-D at the end. And you can also take a look at our website, www.hrtransformed.com. All right, everybody, I'll make sure to include those links in the show notes. And Eileen, thank you so much for joining us today. Just such a phenomenal episode. Really appreciate all the value. Thank you, Robert. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. Now, chances are, if you're an agency owner listening to this podcast right now, then you may be feeling like this. Because I was finding myself constantly overworked within our business, um, constantly like too busy with fulfillment or too busy with uh, customer service needs. So I didn't have the time to go think about how am I going to close this person or what I'm going to say to this person or what am I going to do with this or what's the next strategy I need to do. Now, of course, this podcast is here to help you with a lot of things. 
but at one episode per week. It's going to take a while for us to share everything you need specifically for your situation. So if you're really serious about committing to fixing the problems in your agency now, so you can build a truly profitable business and get your life back, then I want to invite you to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program. I'm not so stressed during calls thinking, oh my gosh, I got, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell because if I don't sell, I don't make our I don't make our numbers, you know, and if I don't make our numbers, I can't pay our people. If I can't pay our people, then our business is down. This program is designed to help creative agency owners get to 1 million in revenue per year in 12 months or less. I char typically charge one client a $3,000, anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000. Now I'm uh, moving towards only 5,000 and up. And my latest client that I closed is a $10,000 client on a monthly retainer. We only accept about 20% of the agencies that apply to this program because we wanna make sure that we only work with people who will commit the time, energy, and resources required to take what they learn in the program and use it to create an agency of their dreams. You've taught me and you've taught us how to build this within our company that if X happens, this happens, boom, 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 boom. Like it's so systematic that it's gonna work for itself. That has given me the sense of like, oh, I know what the heck I'm talking about. I know what I'm good at. I know that I can deliver upon what I wanna deliver. And it, yeah, I gained hell of a lot of confidence for sure. So if that's you, then I want to invite you to apply today. Just hit the link in the show notes to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program or go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash apply. Thanks, and I'll see you inside the program. Mm-hmm.